This is Sports Talk with Phil Cordblue, Chris Bergen, and Pat Daniel. Sports Talk is heard across the state on radio affiliates of the Sports Talk Media Network and is streaming live on sportstalksc.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number to call in is 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now, here are Phil, Chris, and Pat with tonight's edition of Sports Talk. All right, welcome in, everybody. Good to have you with us here on Sports Talk on a Thursday night. Phil Kornblut. Chris Bergen and Pat Daniel. Chris is with us for just a little while. He's got basketball tonight. Coastal Carolina, Georgia State over the HTC Center in Conway. I'm not too far away. I'm in Myrtle Beach. We're here for the Coaches Clinic, High School Football Coaches Clinic. The annual winter clinic gets underway tomorrow at the Sheraton in uh, Myrtle Beach. And you've got high school football coaches from across the state. You'll have uh, college coaches coming in from across the state, and you'll also have um, vendors coming in from all over the place with a variety of wares to show off to these uh, football coaches and athletic directors. Anything related to a football game, a football practice, uh, you can find. Um, Everything from the chalk to uh, outline your field to things to grow your grass to helmets, to shoulder pads, pants, everything is on display. It's a, uh, it's a great event for, uh, for football here in South Carolina. It's been our pleasure to uh, attend it, uh, gosh, forever. I can remember way, way back, uh, Johnny Roscoe was uh, in charge, and they used to have it in the uh, locker room over at williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia when the locker room was not much of a locker room way back then, and they'd have a a hot dog lunch served uh, on a Saturday, and the coaches would come and mingle around a little bit and hear from other coaches and, and leave. Now they've made it into a big weekend, and it's a it's a big event on the football calendar in South Carolina every year. Typically, they announce the head coaches and assistant coaches for the Touchstone Energy Bowl at the event, but they've already named the staffs this week, so they've moved that process up a little bit. So. That's already been done. So we're looking forward to being there tomorrow night and talking to the coaches. We'll have some guests on with us and bring that all to you tomorrow night. But tonight we're talking basketball uh, coming off the win last night for Clemson over um, uh, over um, the Tigers over Florida State uh, in a big way last night. Shot the lights out. It's a make em, make em, a miss em game. And when you're making them, boy, you sure look a lot better. And Clemson looked really good last night, breaking their three-game losing streak. That's 11 ACC wins for the Tigers, and that ties the school record. Uh, They can break the school record at Louisville Saturday night, and they'll also have a chance to get their 20th win of the season Saturday night at Louisville. And uh, for Brad Brownell, that would be the fifth 20-win season for him at Clemson. I think that says a little something about uh, what he has done there. And it also keeps the Tigers in the top four in the ACC after the uh, games were played last night. Just a good, a feel-good night for Clemson all the way around. They played well. Uh, there's a good crowd on hand. And they now have gotten their, their, their juju back a little bit after suffering that three-game losing streak. And we'll see where they go from here. They've got a chance to um, 
pick up another win Saturday. Of course, you don't take anything for granted because Louisville gave Virginia everything they wanted last night. Uh, but still, Clemson should beat this Louisville team, which is having a horrible year. Then they come back at home to play Syracuse. That's always a tough game. Then they've got uh, North Carolina State in Virginia on the road back-to-back. So uh, they got some tough sledding ahead. That's why they need to take care of their business last night and why they need to take care of their business uh, coming up on Saturday against Louisville. Now, tonight, the USC women will be at home to take on Florida, tipping off a little bit after 7 o'clock. And Chris is over at the HTC uh, Center over at uh, Coastal Carolina. And tonight, Shawna Clears play their penultimate home game of the season. Correct, sir? Very nice. That is indeed correct. Their next to last home game against the Georgia State Club that much like Clemson did against Florida State last night when these two teams met in January over in Atlanta. Phil shot ridiculously well from the field. Shot 64%. Hit, what was it, 18 threes in the ballgame. You would think I'd have that committed to memory after the way that contest broke down, but I mean, they were unconscious in that win 100 to 66 largest deficit margin of victory that uh, coastal has given up all season long and georgia state was terrific the funny part was that they have not been that good before nor have they been good since they've only won one other ball game since that win they are worst in the league in field goal percentage down towards the bottom in scoring offense you don't anticipate that duplicating itself but it did happen once, so Coastal hoping to avoid that and get a much, much needed win as they start eyeing the uh, conference tournament in Pensacola. Well, it's been a tough run for Cliff Ellis and the guys, and uh, you know it looks like they're going to miss uh, well everything this year after they um, play their game or games at the uh, at the Sun Belt tournament in Pensacola coming up here uh, next couple of weeks. So I guess um, you know for Cliff Ellis, it's been a disappointing season. Uh, He's had um, uh, success at Coastal Carolina, primarily when they were in the Big South. It's been maybe a a bit more of a difficult step up to the uh, to the Sun Belt. Uh, But, you know, he's had competitive teams. It hasn't helped him, Chris, that over the years he's lost some good players to transfer. And I guess on the flip side, going into the transfer portal, John, he hasn't necessarily replaced those guys with with players of equal or greater ability. I think if you would catch the coaching staff in an honest moment, they would admit they probably missed on some guys in the transfer portal. They've landed a few that maybe should play at the next level, a little bit higher up level. So Coastal's been as good getting transfers in as maybe they have been as good losing transfers out. And most notably in Devontae Jones, the Sunbelt player of the year a couple of years ago, he transfers to Michigan. We talked a lot about Ibrahim Adiba, who would be their starting point guard tonight instead sitting over on South Carolina's bench, unfortunately, with an injury. But it has been a struggle, and the Sun Belt has gotten considerably better. You look at the four teams the league brought in this past offseason, and a lot of it, obviously, is for football. But you're talking about Southern Mississippi, along with Marshall, Old Dominion, and James Madison. Those four in Louisiana are the top five teams in the Sun Belt this year, so they've had no problem. Those That group has had no problem assimilating itself into the Sun Belt, and all it's done is make this league much harder and more difficult on the basketball floor, and Coastal has seen that because they have struggled against all those teams I just referenced uh, a couple of moments ago. And this a Georgia State team that was picked fifth in the preseason. They're sitting 13th right now. So both these squads have not adapted all that well this season to the new look Sunbelt for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, you just never know. And, um, like, who would have thought um, the Citadel would beat Furman? 
last night down in Charleston. I know it was a road trip for Furman, but Furman's been very, very good, and Citadel has uh, struggled a good bit this year, yet the Citadel got the win down there. Uh, best win of the year, I guess you would say, not not having the schedule in front of me, but I, I think we could uh, go out on a limb here and say that's the best win of the year so far for Ed Conroy and the Bulldogs knocking off Furman like that. Yeah, there's no question. They played terrific last night. And we, Pat and I were talking about this uh, while you were watching the uh, Clemson game, second hour of the show last night. The game was relatively low scoring, and I think that was how the Citadel wants to play. They're not a team that's going to probably beat you at least this season in the uh, you know upper 70s, lower 80s, like Furman would like to get that ball up and down the floor and shoot threes as well as the uh, Paladins normally do. And the Citadel played defense. They got the game into their tempo, and were able to come back and, and win that game in the second half after trailing at halftime. That's a very, very good win for the Citadel one, I'm sure, that Ed Conroy and his team could build upon. Oh, absolutely. You know, Clemson, let's go back to them for just a moment. Uh, with their win last night, they are now 64th, number 64 in the net. And so since uh, Sunday, they've moved up 13 spots. So that's a nice gain for the Tigers. To get to a 64, they, they still have some work to do there, of course. But last night was just a shooting clinic. You know, you watch a lot more basketball in person than I do because you're at a game every time Coastal Carolina plays. You're sitting there side court and you're you're watching. So uh, you, you get to follow the stats and see the trends and all that. Last night, of course, Clemson shot 60% for the game, okay, for the game. They started off hot. They hit their first five shots. And, like, you know, P.J. Hall was in particular very hot. He didn't miss a shot until there were 14 minutes and 13 seconds to play in the game. I think he hit his first seven. And uh, Chance Hunter, uh, Chase Hunter was also uh, very hot from the floor. I think he ended up missing, like, one shot. Uh, I think Hall missed two shots for the game. So they started hot. They stayed hot, and they finished hot. Even the guys that came off the bench, you know, you, you figure your percentage is going to drop when the bench boys get in there. Even they were making shots. Here's what I think is, I'm not going to say it's incredible, but a most unusual stat is for the entire game, Clemson never missed more than two consecutive shots. You know, in basketball, you get up a lot of shots. You miss a shot, you get the rebound, you shoot, you miss, you get the rebound, you shoot, you miss. You might go play defense, come back down the floor, shoot, miss, get the rebound, shoot, miss. You'll miss five, six, seven in a row in a heartbeat. They never missed more than two shots in a row the entire game, and that only happened five times. So when you think about all the possessions, they either made a basket, uh, missed one shot, then made the next one, um, or five times they missed consecutive shots. But that's it. I mean, that is good shooting. And if you would tell Brad Brownell you're going to get that every night, he would tell you we're going to go deep in the postseason. Oh, I think he would tell you they're going to win the national championship because you can't beat them when they are shooting as well as they did last night. I mean, it was an amazing performance, Phil. And that's also, here's, here's that negative side of coaching. You always want to come out of a basketball game thinking, all right, we weren't nearly as good as we looked on tape and we're not nearly as bad as we looked on tape after a loss. 
I don't know what Brad Brownell talked to his team about from a negative perspective last night. They were terrific in every statistical category. They got on the boards and rebounded and really didn't need to because there weren't all that many misses. And then they, they were able to assist the basketball. They were able to play great defense. They shot it so well, as you pointed out. And that's why you end up with the, believe it or not, the largest margin of victory in an ACC game in Clemson program history. And for a point of comparison, they looked last night much like this Georgia State team that Coastal's about to see here tonight. Did back in January over in Atlanta when they were 37 of 58 from the field. They shot 64% for the game. And I've mentioned the 16 made threes, which is still a season high for them. Sometimes in Florida State, I'm sure Leonard Hamilton would tell you, nobody was beating Clemson last night. And that was the case when these two teams met over in the state capital of Georgia last month. You weren't beating Georgia State on that night, and nobody last night, I'm not sure, would have beaten Clemson with that kind of shooting night. question is, obviously, they're not going to do that every night. What mm-hmm. they've been able to rely upon, for the most part, is when they struggle a little bit offensively, they play such good defense, it keeps them in ball games, and that's why they're where they are right now. And uh, props to uh, Brown Brownell, and you talked about the consistency. It's probably not what Clemson fans believe it is. They, they want even more consistency, but the amount of 21 seasons he has had there that one surprised me a little bit. I think a lot of Clemson fans have not realized he's bidding for what you said, his fifth 20-win season as head coach of the Tigers. That's pretty impressive at a at a clearly football school. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves, to be quite honest with you. And, I mean, look, um, he's, he's on that hot seat. His AD did not extend him after last year and kind of – made it pretty clear that it was tournament or bust for him this year and maybe more than tournament, maybe a tournament and some wins in the tournament. Who knows what he's thinking there regarding the basketball coach. But I was just, you know, thinking too, what about Notre Dame looking for a coach? He's got Indiana roots. I don't know if that means anything to Notre Dame, of course. But, you know, what would would Brad Brownell, if he takes this Clemson team, finishes with 20-some-odd wins, makes a good run in the NCAA tournament, but gets a chance to go to a more basketball-centric place. Not that Notre Dame is – I mean, obviously Notre Dame is football-centric, but their basketball has been pretty important and pretty big up there. Or someplace where the basketball is more of the focus than it is at Clemson. I wonder if he would entertain any opportunities like that coming off a hot, big season. It's an interesting point, especially as you pointed out, maybe didn't get the support from the athletic department that he had hoped for going into this season. And basically told, as you referenced, it's NCAA tournament or bust. Maybe he doesn't feel like he's getting the support from the Clemson administration that probably should. Now you would think some of that is changing with how well they're playing in the season they're kind of having. I think, though, if you're Notre Dame, College of Charleston, folks, you don't want to hear this, but I think I'd probably go, and this is not a knock on Brad, but maybe go a little bit younger, and there's Pat Kelsey sitting Two and a half hours down the road on I-26, he's also a Midwestern guy. Uh, so I think I think the Pat Kelsey to Notre Dame makes a whole lot of sense to me if they want to go that route. He may not be the well-known name in the upper Midwest that we know him around these parts, but there's no question that guy can coach, and that guy will bring tremendous energy uh, up to Notre Dame. Not that Brad Brownell would do a bad job. I just think they're probably going to look and skew a little bit younger, and the guy to me, if they're going that route, would be a Pat Kelsey. Yeah. Well, I would imagine he'll be a hot commodity for uh, any of the major jobs that are open. What else is open out there right now as I'm thinking about it? Notre Dame is open. There's nothing open yet in the SEC or the ACC. Mike Morgan, who, by the way, will not be with us tonight. He's got some things going on, so he'll be back with us next week. But he mentioned last time we talked about this, 
he thought maybe the Ole Miss job, something could happen there because they're having such a, a bad year. And uh, this would be a bad year, I think, on top of not such a good year last year. But not saying that's going to happen, just thinking out loud. Um, what other you – know, Georgetown's probably going to come open. You figure that one's probably going to come open. Hard to believe that it's been so bad under Patrick Ewing. But they gave him a great chance. Just goes to show you can't go home all the time as the hero and make it happen as a coach. Sometimes it just doesn't work for you. But um, just trying to think what else is out there right now that would be considered a major opening, Notre Dame and then possibly Georgetown are two that come to mind. Yeah, I think that may be the only two, Phil, because if you look at sort of the bottom feeders around the SEC and the ACC, Louisville, as bad as they are, they're not going to make a change, you wouldn't think, after one year. South Carolina obviously struggling this year, but Lamont Paris, we all understand what he's dealing with. They're not making a change there. LSU with Coach McMahon, I'm not sure many Tiger fans are excited about what he's trying to clean up after the Will Wade disaster that it was, even though they won over there. I don't think they make a change. So if you're trying to lop off the bottom teams, I'm not sure there are many around the uh, around our area that are making changes. So you may have hit on the uh, two most notable ones that will more than likely be open at the end of the season. Yeah, I think so. I think that's – I don't – I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. There will be others, but I don't know how many other uh, big ones are going to open up uh, at the end of this season. Other basketball tonight, uh, the Clemson women – they're playing tonight. They're playing Miami. They're already underway playing down in Miami. And it is a 16-15 Clemson lead uh, near the end of the first quarter. The Tigers are 14-13 and 5-10 and in the ACC. Amanda Butler's doing a, a good job there. I mean, let's face it, uh, largely ignored, greatly overshadowed by the giant in Columbia. And probably, I don't know how... Uh, you elevate that Clemson women's program to the point where they are a national contending program. Once again, I guess hard work and recruiting and getting the right people in. They're not there yet. They had that one year a couple of years ago where they made the tournament, but uh, not much since. So we got that one tonight. We got uh, College of Charleston is playing at Elon tonight. We told you about the Florida women, South Carolina women playing tonight. Um, and, of course, you've got uh, the game that uh, Bergie is at, Georgia State, Coastal Carolina. That's about it for the, the teams that uh, we keep a, a watch on around here. Plus, you've got high school basketball uh, tournament action continuing tonight. Last night was the first night of tournament play, and tournament play will continue tonight. We've got uh, qualifying last night at Daytona for the uh, 500, and tonight it's the dual races, and that will set the field for a Sunday's race, uh, Daytona still has the uh, their unique uh, qualifying system where they set the first two spots with the qualifying like of last night, and then they set the rest of the field with the uh, twin races tonight. And I think there aren't too many what they call open entries. Uh, most of these teams that are already uh, that are qualifying or running these races tonight, they're already in the field. They're locked in one way or another. Uh, so you don't have that's, – that's one thing that's changed over the years, Chris, as we have followed NASCAR, the drama of qualifying and getting into a field, you, excuse me, you know, being that 43rd or 44th or 45th car to go out and qualify and try and get in and knock somebody out. That's gone by the board. We, we just don't have that anymore. No, you don't. And I think part of the problem NASCAR has is it is such a have – 
versus have-nots in that category, and you can't have very many, so so to speak, underdogs get in there because they just don't have the money to compete with the bigger-name teams. And I think Daytona ought to drop its qualifying run and just set the field off the uh, twin 125s because uh, it, it appears Alex Bowman's always going to win the pole, as he did again last night. He's just the seventh driver in NASCAR history to be able to do that, win three uh, three times on the pole at, at Daytona. He's pretty much figured out a way to dominate that. And the question is, can he carry it over to Sunday and maybe pull home a Daytona 500 victory? But these two races tonight have always been a lot of fun. I really enjoy them. And if you're a novice NASCAR fan and you wonder why in the world Phil and I spend 10 months talking about the sport, this might be something to watch. It's like the truck races. You don't have to invest nearly as much time. It's exciting. It's fast. It gets over in a hurry. And these guys are racing hard because they want to finish. They know how important it is to be up towards the front at any super speedway. You don't want to be in the back because when that big one hits, and it always does, you don't want to be messing around towards the back of the pack. So these oh. uh, these twin 125 qualifiers are huge to set the rest of the field. You know, but how shocked are you by the speeds or the lack thereof? I mean, the winning speed, the winning qualifying speed last night, 181.686. And that's Alex Bowman. Kyle Larson was second fastest, and he'll start on the outside of row one on Sunday, 181.057. Then we drop down to 180. Then we're into uh, the 179s. Uh, That's pretty darn slow for Daytona. Have you had a chance to read anything or hear anything about what's going on that's getting the speeds down that low? Am I correct in assessing this as being a very slow qualifying speed? It's an interesting question. It really is. And maybe Owens can clue us in a little bit more tomorrow when he joins us for the first time this season. Always look forward to having Jeff on the program. But, Phil, I'm wondering if Alex Bowman and those guys were already in race trim, if you will, getting ready for Sunday, and they wanted to see how fast their car could be on a consistent basis when they uh, break it out there on Sunday. And tonight's always a lot of fun, too, because Bowman and Larson will both be running in those twin qualifying races. And the question to me is always, all right, how much do you want to play in the draft? Because that's why they get in there to get some experience in the draft before you pull back and run around the back of the field. Because if you wreck your car tonight, you've got to go to the back of the pack on Sunday. And you definitely don't want to spoil an opportunity to sit on the pole at the Daytona 500. So those two guys in particular have to be awfully awfully careful and smart about what they do tonight. Oh, I would agree. I would agree with that. I just want to pull up, if you give me a moment here, I'm looking, uh, let's see here, I want to pull up qualifying from last year's Daytona 500 just to compare. I, I don't, you know, we talk about the cars and what they've done to the cars uh, over time, and I'm wondering if there's something that's gone on in this offseason that we haven't really heard that much about or talked about yet. And you mentioned that um, we'll have Jeff on with us tomorrow night back in the fast lane. We start our our fast lane uh, coverage with him uh, starting tomorrow night. So let's see. um, And he'll have certainly uh, more on that for us. But last year in qualifying for the Daytona 500, if I put my eyes on it, uh, let's see here. That's, um, well, I got to go back up this way. I got to believe it was, it was, it was a lot more than that. That just seems like it's awfully slow to me. 181 miles an hour seems well off the pace to what we're used to at a place like Daytona. Uh, Two-and-a-half-mile super speedway like that, uh, you would think you'd have a lot more speed. And I am going to find this here before uh, before we lose you. Let's see. Here we go. Daytona. Give me the qualifying. Um, 
well, I can't put my eyes on it right away. But i got to believe it was faster than what they had last night by a lot. 181 seems slow, ironically enough. I mean, to put it in perspective, they, years and years and years ago, they were running well over 190 miles an hour at Daytona. Heck, they were getting up upwards of, what, gosh, they run sometimes at Darlington. They get up to 175, almost 180. So uh, the restrictor plates have obviously had a major impact, and you wonder how much the new car and all that kind of stuff has had as well, even though this is now the uh, second year in the new car. But, yeah, I think they've, they've probably done something to continue to slow down the speeds. That's NASCAR's biggest concern, those cars flipping and, and getting into some horrible crashes, which you've got to balance that because a lot of fans like to see the high speeds in the uh, wrecks. That's quite, frankly, why they tune in. So, yeah, but it's, to me, that I, I think you're probably right, Phil. It, that's considerably slower than what we have seen in years past. But you know what? I've, I've pulled it up here now. Um... 2022 Daytona 500 qualifying results. Last year, Kyle Larson, 181.159, and Alex Bowman, 181.046. So they were the top two last year. As you mentioned, Bowman's won it three times. But the speeds were about the same, 181.159, 181.046. So haven't changed all that much. We'll dive into that more tomorrow night. Chris, you have a great ball game tonight and a great call, sir. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Okay. We'll continue after this break. Well, I went back and looked. The 2021 Daytona 500 qualifying winning speed was 191.261. That was by Alex Bowman. So 10 miles an hour off the speed from just 2021. So I guess that goes back to the new car. Maybe we talked about the same thing last year. I can't remember. Maybe this time last year when we saw the results at Daytona, we were like, my gosh, that's awfully slow. And the new car came out last year. And I guess the speeds this time um, are like they were last year similar so nothing's really changed all that much they lost the speed from when they went from what they were driving in 21 to what they were driving in 22 and now they're driving the same thing here in 23 okay uh, chris is off to do basketball pat is in the studio i'm here in myrtle beach for the coaches uh, clinic getting ready for that uh, tomorrow night uh, we'll take your phone calls if you'd like to join us Whatever is on your mind from uh, the Clemson basketball game last night to the USC women's game tonight to the uh, Daytona 500 coming up this weekend to uh, recruiting. I talked to Blake Franks this afternoon. I'll update you on that in our next hour when we go into recruiting. All of that's on the table and more. Anything else you'd like to talk about, uh, 888-898-2525 is our number. That is the South Carolina education lottery lucky number here to sports talk and since 2002 more than 829 million dollars in lottery proceeds have been used to fund lottery tuition assistance for students attending technical colleges in south carolina learn more about the south carolina education lottery's impact at sceducationlottery.com slash education wins and playing for fun is a win for education Pat tells me that lines are open, so you can get through right now if you'd like to join us. 
we would welcome you into a sports talk tonight, so go ahead and give us a call. As far as uh, other things going on, we've got the PGA Tour event, the Genesis Open, and this, of course, is the return of Tiger Woods to the PGA Tour and uh, give you a leaderboard update on that as Tiger, of course, it was after this event last year where he had that horrendous uh, traffic accident, that that wreck where he uh, went off the side of a hill and did uh, terrible damage uh, to himself, and it's taken him, or was it two years ago? Was it two years ago? Uh, it's, it's taken him uh, all this time, of course, to to work his way back into uh, competitive shape to the point where he feels like now uh, he can go out and he can play. So Max Homa, he has your early lead, a 7-under 64 for him. John Rahm, 6-under 65. Uh, Matt Kuchar, a 5-under 66. Uh, Keith Mitchell's on the course at 5-under. Adam Hadwin is on the course at 5-under as well. Tom Hoagie's at 4-under after a 67. Adam Svensson is 4-under after a 67. And Lee Hodges is 4-under after a 67 as well. And as far as uh, where Tiger Woods falls uh, in the uh, in the leaderboard area, well, he's not among those at the very top. Roy McIlroy is two under through a twelve. Uh, Lucas Glover is also two under, and he's played um, through eleven holes today. And Tiger, uh, where is Tiger at? Let's see if I can pull him up here real quick. See what he's got going on. There he is. Tiger is one over through 12 holes today. One over through 12 holes. And, you know, let's face it, Tiger Woods, uh, when he plays, it makes uh, the event a bigger event. You know, the world is watching when Tiger Woods is playing. Taking a look at his card so far today, he actually opened with a birdie. What a way to start start your year, right, with a birdie. Um that was on number one. He opened with a birdie. Lost that uh, that shot back on number four with a bogey. Uh, got a birdie at eight. And then a, bo- a bogey at 10 and a bogey at 12. So that uh, has left him at plus one. And uh, let's see. Um, number one is a par five. Number one is the only par five on the front nine. And he birdied that. Where is another par five? Uh, number 11 is a par 5, and he, he parred that. Uh, there's one more par 5. The 17th is a par 5, so we'll see what he does there. But right now, Tiger Woods is plus 1 as he plays the 13th hole there. And again, your leader is Max Homa at minus 7. Very good round for him, a, a round of 64. So we've got that going on. We've got the uh, racing coming up tonight. We've got the basketball going on as well. Uh, we'll also update the recruiting for you. And uh, Mark Kingston met with the media today to give another preview on his team. This is the preview right before the start of the season because the season scheduled to start tomorrow. And so he said that um, they're ready to go. Uh, he feels good about this team starting lineup. Uh, a couple of spots are still open. There's going to be a couple of platoon areas there, uh, third base, uh, catcher, uh, first base, uh, you'll see that early in the year as they sort some things out and kind of figure out who's going to play best well, uh, best who's going to play the best in certain spots. 
uh, and you'll see some adjustments when they play one guy here and they move a guy out of that spot. They move him to another spot because he's capable of playing uh, different positions. You'll see some maneuvering like that. Um, he does believe this team's going to pitch very, very well. He's not uh, set yet on an absolute closer for this team. That'll be determined. But he is set on his weekend rotation. He's not necessarily set yet on who's going to pitch the midweek games. They've got eight games here in the first ten days of the season, and so he's got to see how much of his uh, pitching staff is used up this weekend uh, before he sees who's going to start the midweek games coming up next week. But um, this is year six, his fifth full year. Remember, one of the years was wiped out because of COVID, but this is the sixth year in Columbia, and I think Mark Kingston is looking to make this his best year yet. Listening to uh, the two players they brought in, Will Sanders and Braylon Wimmer, especially Sanders. Sanders is so well-spoken. And he talked about how after they lost to Florida in the SEC tournament last year, the only game they had in the SEC tournament, he got together with the other pitchers, those who were coming back, and he said, he said, guys, basically, paraphrasing here, he said, guys, we got to work harder. We got to be more dedicated. We got to get better to get this program back to where it should be. And so he said he and those other pitchers who were coming back stayed together all spring, all summer, worked as hard as they could to improve in every way from their nutrition to their on the field performance to their conditioning, everything that they could work on. They've done it and they've stayed together from last spring all the way to now. And he's very excited. He is very excited about what is ahead for this team this season. Braylon Wimmer moving from second base to shortstop, according to Kingston, uh, may be a huge move for them. Uh, He is going to solidify the defense at short. Uh, Kingston believes he's one of the best defensive shortstops that he personally has ever worked with, ever seen, including some major league shortstops. He's a guy that they didn't think – a couple of years ago, had the arm strength and the accuracy to play short. That's why they put him at second. But he wanted to be a shortstop and apparently worked very hard in the offseason and came in in the fall determined to become the shortstop. And that is what he's done. He will be the everyday shortstop, which means Michael Braswell, who was the shortstop for most of last year, is now over at third base, and he is competing for playing time over there. It does give you that flexibility with a talent like uh, Braswell uh, to play him other places. What Braswell's got to do, of course, is figure out how to hit SEC pitching. He had his he had his troubles with that last year. So baseball season for the D1 teams gets underway tomorrow, weather permitting, and it's the run to Omaha now for all these teams around uh, South Carolina. Let's go to Gamecock Larry in Swansea. Get a couple of calls rolling here tonight. Gamecock Larry, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? Okay, Bill, uh, thank you. Uh, I just want to say something about this, uh, about G.G. Jackson. Uh, uh, he, I don't know what the problem is. Well, well, I really do know, but I don't want to say it on the air. But if that young man, if he was on my team, and I had my team in the huddle, and he was standing off by himself over a few feet away. If I was Lamont Paris, I would have walked over, pointed him toward the tunnel, and point and tell him to go. 
he wouldn't even sit on the bench the rest of the game. Now, I want to say something to Ron. I think that's his name, Ron. You said I was short-tempered. No, I'm not short-tempered. I'm an old dip, 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 I guess. I'm an old 100% disabled, three-time Vietnam veteran. I worked up until I was 80 years old, and I moved to Georgia, I guess, about 10, 10 years ago, and worked, and my wife passed away up there in 2013. Well, I stayed up there a while, but I had to come home because I wasn't in good health. I, and now they got me wheelchair-bound, homebound, all kind of bound. So I'm not short-tempered. I love all y'all, Gamecocks and Tiger fans. I don't like the teams when they play us, but uh, I, I, I'm not short-tempered, and I just have fun, and I, it, it does. I really enjoy you getting mad at me, Get, getting up. Well, I don't know. You ain't mad. You're just saying the same thing I'm saying. You just like to have me talk or have you talk. But I'm love all y'all, but I, I'm okay. I just sit here and listen to the radio, read my Bible, and talk on the radio once in a while, and I'm okay. But, Ron, don't say I'm short-tempered, because you ain't seen me when I was short-tempered, so... Well, I, be I don't. I don't want to well, go too far. Don't want to go too far. Love no, all y'all. Go it, game. All yeah. right, Larry. Thank you, and thank you for everything. Yeah. And uh, hope you continue to feel well. And I can't think of a better combination on a daily basis to listen to the gospel of sports talk and read the Bible. You do that every day. That's a full day right there, my friend. You've got it. You've got it licked. And we appreciate you very much. Thanks for calling in. Let's go to uh, Andy in Columbia. Andy, welcome into Sports Talk. How are you? Hey, Corn. It's a pleasure to follow a legend as Gamecock Larry. Absolutely. Both of us should only be as spunky if we make it to his age. I hope so. I hope so. A three-time Vietnam veteran? My goodness, we got to salute him. That's awesome. Exactly. That's a man we need to honor and to respect. Okay, first off, we were talking about basketball coaches or teams who need coaches. I think you left out the biggest one. Who's that? Texas. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Texas, yeah, they do have an assistant coach, interim coach. I wonder if he won't get the head coaching job. But, you know, they dropped the charges against Chris Beard. They're not going to bring him back, Corn. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, the charges were dropped. And what do you? Why shouldn't he get his job back? Because of the, if you read the report, the charges were dropped. But what he did, he did that to his girlfriend, fiance, girlfriend, fiance, whatever. There's the police report says bite marks, um, marks from being hit on her face, things like that. I don't but, think Texas. I don't think Texas letting him go because of that can bring him back. I, without well, but but she did they move? I mean, did they move too quickly? Because she's claiming that everything that he did was for his defense, 
Unless, I mean, unless this is a case where, and this happens a lot, you know, where the the female in a case like this um, tries to defend yeah. the male, and, yeah. and he really is an abuser, and it becomes an abusive situation. I've, you know, I've seen documentaries done about that kind of stuff, and if that's the case, I mean, that's a sad situation. But if she's coming out and saying to the police and on the record that he didn't do anything and you know, I was the one that was being aggressive and he was trying to defend himself and the, and the, and the, 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 uh, district attorney or whoever is pressing the charges agrees with it and says they don't have her cooperation and they don't have the evidence to prove anything. I mean, again, I hear what you're saying, but sometimes schools and teams react too soon before they have all the facts. And, I mean, here's a guy whose career – here's a, I'm not defending him. I mean, but I also like to, I like, to give, I like to give a little bit of benefit of the doubt. And if he's been a good soldier up to that point, had no previous issues, and this happens in his life. And, you, look, we all know, you know, couples can explode at any time for whatever reason. Um, and if he did wrong, then so be it. He should be punished and, sh- and should be sent off. But if you don't have a case against him and the woman is saying it didn't happen and he was just defending himself and it's not his fault, what are you supposed to do they, as a man? You know, they, I don't think they can backpedal on this, that they would have suspended him. Um, waiting for an outcome, that would be one thing. But they went ahead and fired him. And I think once they threw the axe down, you can't bring the axe back up. Well, I hear you, but I'm once saying, did they? The did, off, did, I don't think you can sew the head back on. But did they act too soon? Until should they? Well, well, I guess you. I, 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 I guess the problem is when you got the charges hanging over you and you got the arrest and all that. It's it's you suspend a guy. Maybe he should have just been suspended. That's what I said. Yeah, I didn't yeah, hear you. And, you know, I was too busy I, talking. Yeah, you know, that's the problem. If they would have suspended and not fired, then they have something to go back on. Mm-hmm. Now, they might get sued by Beard's um, t- um, lawyers for um, not firing for just just causes. That might be an issue, but mm-hmm. he's not going to be rehired. Um, number A couple other quick things. Andy, before you move on, I'll throw a curveball at you, because I, w- I wanted to bring that up earlier as well. Throw another name out there of a coach that may be losing his job with a, an attachment directly to Chris Beard, Mark Adams, who took over for Chris, Chris Beard and was his longtime assistant at Texas Tech. Remember, Beard left Texas Tech after that Final Four run, went to, uh, went to Texas, and now whatever has happened has since happened. Well, Mark Adams, uh, a, a lot of folks out, beat writers around the country, are expecting him to not be retained there. Maybe we'd see a Chris Beard reunion with the Red Raiders mm. at Texas Tech. Mm. Just a thought. Mm. Mm. That. Pat, you might have just hit it right on the nose. That's why we have him. That's why he's not called the best producer, third-team host in America for nothing. Hey, and I'll tell you what, you read his articles, he does a very good job when he goes and does uh, watches um, yes, he does. games and writes it. His, I hate to do this to you, call. but we have to run to a break. We've got ourselves pinched into a corner here, so we appreciate the phone call. Great points, as always. And uh, we'll hear from you again. Let's run to our break before we get up against the top of the hour here because we're already uh, tight to the top of the hour. And in the second hour, no Mike Morgan tonight, but we will hear from Mark Kingston, USC baseball coach, 
And uh, we will also hear from Brad Brownell, Clemson basketball coach, following that win last night over uh, that bad team from Florida State. Yes. We will have all that for you coming up after the break. (laughs) Founders Federal Credit Union knows your life is busy and your money is important. We are proud to offer local personalized services and convenient online services like Founders Online and the Founders app. You'll love being with us as much as we love serving you. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership with Founders. Relax. Win with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Hope. Life. And the Great Palmetto. What do these things have in common? Scholarship dollars. The SC Hope. The Life. And the Palmetto Fellow Scholarships are funded by the lottery players of this great state. And after 20 years, you've invested over $7 billion in education. $7 billion. Impressive. The South Carolina Education Lottery. When you play, we all win. George Bryant here with Tsunami Bar Sports. And wow, Tsunami Robbie, there is now an amazing technology that you can use when you train receiving large gain without having to endure pain. Please explain. George, that is the magic combination. I have three simple words to define that entire concept. Stimulation, not annihilation. Regardless of your training goals, there is a level of stimulation that is optimal for your desired gains. Tsunami Bar's flexible bar technology meets these demands because the user determines the level of stimulation with the amount of speed and force they impart into the bar or training device. Hey, this is Phil Kornblut. The Tsunami Bar is a terrific training device whether you're working on your fitness or your golf game. It's convenient, it's easy to use, and you won't feel beat up afterwards. Be sure to click on the digital ad on sportstalksc.com and get 5% off any order using promo code B. BB5. Don't wait. Order today. Hi, I'm Jim Corbett. I've been an attorney for more than 30 years. There's one thing I've learned about injury cases. It's you need the personal touch. You need the lawyer to get to know you and describe your damages. You don't want a case manager talking to an insurance company and then talking to you and then talking to maybe to a lawyer with limited experience at the last minute to try to settle a case. I talk to you. I find out what your case is about. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com. Jim at JimCorbettAttorney.com for your injury cases. I want you to want me. Got the uh, pitching rotations for this weekend's Clemson and Binghamton series coming out today from Clemson. So Friday, tomorrow, left-hander Ryan Ammons will start for Clemson against left-hander Thomas Babalus. On Saturday, right-hander Austin Gordon starts for Clemson against right-hander Gabe Driscoll. And Sunday, it's right-hander Jay Dill for the Tigers against right-hander Ryan Brigman. All right, there you go. That's the pitching matchups for the weekend series. Uh, Tar Hizzle, long time, no hear from in the Columbia area. Tar Hizzle, welcome in, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I hope you guys are, man. You know, I... I listen all the time. I don't always get a chance to call, but 
I tell you something. Something struck me tonight when I happened to get on right about the time when old Gamecock Larry called, and um, you know, he said something tonight that I just wanted to bring to people's attention. You know, we all got our our heroes and our teams we pull for, and you know, we think of you know people we look up to, the the the, the Ray Lewis's of the world, and and the great football players, and the Deion Sanders, and everything else. But I tell you. I, I would love for your 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 Phil Cornblue nation that's listening tonight to take hmm. a step back and think about this one hero that we, we might not look at him that way, but take a deep thought tonight and think about it. And I always say it. I always talk about, you know, appreciating those guys that wear the uniform every day and those folks that fight for the freedoms that we got to call in and argue about games that don't matter and sports that don't matter. But these guys put it on the line, and I just I heard him say three tours of duty in Vietnam, and those men didn't come back to the greatest welcome home. And I just want to say thank you, Gamecock Larry, for what you put out there, what you sacrificed. And we do love you for doing what you did and being our freaking hero and fighting for our country. And people may talk all they want to about it, but there ain't nothing like that red, white, and blue and we do care about our family, our friends, and everyone in the United States. And it's folks like him that made it where we're at and where we could be what we do and the people in our in our state and in our country. So I want to give him a big shout-out for being my hero with three tours of duty in Vietnam, 90 years old, sitting there listening to the talk show. Pretty freaking awesome. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. And I don't have anything to add. I think you speak for all of us when you say that. And, of course, uh, people like uh, Gamecock Larry and um, the thousands of others, uh, they got something special. They got something special in them, that's for sure. I mean, I came through at a time when I was a little too young, just barely, a little too young for Vietnam. My neighbor across the street went to Vietnam straight out of the Citadel as a second lieutenant. And um, he survived it somehow. I don't know. I often think about what if I had been a year or two older, you know? What if I had been sent over there? How would I have survived it? I don't know that I would have, to be quite honest with you. That's why when somebody like Gamecock Larry and others come along like that, you should absolutely respect them and salute them. And we'll be back. Welcome back to Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. You can reach the guys with the South Carolina Education Lottery lucky number, 888-898-2525. That's 888-898-2525. Now back to Phil, Chris, and Pat with the second hour of Sports Talk on the Sports Talk Media Network. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network here on a Thursday night. For those of you just joining us, Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's great to have you with us. We've covered a lot of ground in the first hour. We'll continue to do the same here in hour number two. We've got some comments from USC baseball coach Mark Kingston coming up shortly for you as he previews the start of the season tomorrow in Columbia against UMass Lowell. Okay, University of Massachusetts at Lowell, wherever that is, not exactly sure. But he said they were a team that was a game away from making the NCAA tournament last year. Must have been a team that lost in their tournament championship there and didn't make it into the NCAA tournament field. He says they will steal a lot of bases and they've taken their closer and moved him into the rotation. And uh, 
you know, every game is big now. You're Mark Kingston. This is year six. He knows that the fan base is antsy, not just to make the NCAA tournament, but to host a regional and to get to a super regional and to get back to Omaha. And if pitching has anything to do with it, then this Gamecock team should be loaded from that standpoint. Question is, I don't think there's any concern. Well, there's always concern about pitching, you know, injuries and things like that. But by and large, I think they're very confident in their pitching. I think they're really confident in their defense. The big question mark is going to be hitting. How well is this team going to hit? They lost a lot of hits and a lot of home runs, a lot of power off of last year's team when you go back and look at who they lost. And the question becomes now who's going to provide that punch in the lineup offensively uh, and what kind of offensive team are they going to be. So they get started tomorrow, and uh, we'll let you hear from him. Uh, Last night we heard from uh, Clemson coach Eric Backish, and if you're just joining us, uh, he has announced his rotation for this opening weekend. Left-hander Ryan Ammons tomorrow, right-hander Austin Gordon on Saturday, and right-hander Jay Dill on Sunday as they take on Binghamton over the weekend, okay? Of course, uh, both teams have a couple of weeks of warm-ups until we get to the big series between the uh, Gamecocks and the Tigers that will begin on a Friday a couple of weeks from tomorrow up at uh, Doug Kingsmore Stadium, then over to Greenville on Saturday, and then to Columbia on Sunday. So that's how the uh, series will roll this year. USC women underway in their game against the Florida Gators at the Colonial Life Arena. And the USC women have jumped to a 15-8 to lead at the media timeout with 4.52 to play in the first quarter. So uh, another quick start for the USC uh, ladies. Cook has seven, and Beal has four. And the Gamecocks are shooting a cool 70%, 7 of 10. Florida is shooting 57%, yet they're down seven points. They're four of seven. The Gamecocks already have five rebounds to one and a couple of offensive rebounds and three second chance points and 10 points in the paint, 10 of their 15 points in the paint. Typical recipe for USC women's basketball team already getting it done tonight against the team from Florida. As for Clemson uh, playing Miami tonight, they're playing that down in Florida. Give you a quick update on that one as the, uh, they still go by lady as the lady Tigers are looking to go to 15 and 13, but they're down in the third quarter. They're down to Miami, 44 to 37. Okay, uh, Mark Kingston coming up, but let's go back to the phones. 888-898-2525 is the number. We welcome in Triple T in Columbia. I like to call him the angry black man, but he goes by Triple T. Triple T, how are you, sir? I hope you're in a good mood tonight. Hey. Oh yeah, you know that's you know it's triple T trash talking tag. Yeah. Okay. I the reason like, I'm calling I, I like is, I still like ABM because don't worry it, about that. I understand when I speak the truth, and when I speak the truth, folks get a, people get angry. People ex- get angry. You're like an exploding missile. You're an ABM. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. The reason I'm calling in tonight, somebody needs to talk to GG Jackson. First of all, I want to say this, GG Jackson. He's not ready for college basketball, and he's definitely not ready for the pros. Um, he First, he made a comment 
when Carolina lost him, he needed the ball, you know, in his hand down the stretch. Um, he been struggling all year long. First of all, in his body is not a college body. Somebody need to get him a dietitian and put him on a weight program so he can lift weights and get stronger. I see why he didn't go to North Carolina because he was not going to get no playing time in North Carolina. And um, he done shot himself in the foot when he comes to the pros because that picture of him pouting on, on, on the bench went viral. They went, everybody, all the coaches in the pros saw it. I'm saying this. He needs to stay at Carolina two more years. He's not as good as he think he is. Uh, 55 years ago when I was in high school, Gigi would be on the third string. He would be on the third string at my high school in Walterboro, Colleton High School. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's not that good. But somebody, he's been reading all them clippings about he this and that. He's not. Also, the last thing I'm going to say, he do not have a consistent perimeter shot. He need to be in the gym every day shooting at least 500 jump shots and work on his defensive game if he can play at the next level. And like I said, Gigi, if you're out there or somebody who knows Gigi, y'all need to talk, sit him down and tell him he need to stop pouting. This is a big boy game. This is not high school. And everybody pat you on the shoulder and you think you're the best thing since a slice of bread. Hey, man, this Triple T, trash talking tiger. Hey, hey, in two weeks, them tigers are going to sweep them game cocks in baseball. Gamecocks got some. Gamecocks got some tough pitching. What about Clemson's hey, man, pitching? Don't we don't care, know man. about Clemson's pitching. Ammons is good. Hey, we know Ammons hey, from hey, last hey, good year. Hitting, good hitting, good stop good pitching every time. Uh, I thought it was the other way around. I thought good pitching oh, no, stopped good, good hitting. hitting. Stop good pitching. <laughs> but we, hey, we shall see, man. Take we care. We shall now. see. Good hearing from you, Triple T. Trash, the man. Okay, man. Trash he is the man. And let me say this, and thank you, Triple T. Um, Oliver, which is his real name has been around the Columbia community, as you know, forever. He's a, well, he grew up in Walterboro, but came to Columbia. And he has worked with inner city youth for decades in this town, in the parks, in the recreation area, coaching, and et cetera, et cetera. And he's very close and very knowledgeable about the young kids coming up in Columbia. And so when he talks about him, and he has talked about many over the years, when he talks about him, you should pay attention because he knows what he's talking about. And I could not agree with him more. I could not agree with him more. And I don't know who it is that can push G.G. Jackson's button to get him, um, you know, to get him back right. Uh, could it be his, you know, his father's a preacher. His father has a church. His father was also a um, – college football player so you know um but i don't know anything about the, f- the family dynamics and who you know who's who's handling things here i'm not going to stick my nose into family business but um i don't know if if you can grab if the, if the if somebody from the family can get his attention and, and say hey this is not how, how this is to be done i don't know if lamont paris can do anything more or somebody on the coaching staff eddie shannon one of the other assistant coaches can they do more with him I mean, he's already benched him since the social media uh, blow up, uh, and, he, and he's you know he's, he's he hasn't started him. He hasn't benched him completely because he has played. 
but his playing time, based on his performance, his, his playing time has dropped here a little bit. Um, so I don't know. Is, is this the case of a young man who, um, who's got unbelievable talent um, but has, has – has, has, I'm not going to say being coddled because I don't know what his background has been uh, to this point. Uh, but it certainly seems like, as an outsider looking at it and just judging by his own actions, he's a guy that um, is used to getting his way, and when he's not getting his way, uh, he's reacting this way. And it's a detriment to his team and to himself. You know, it doesn't look good, especially in this day and age where everybody is watching you, where you've got an NIL contract that you have signed with organizations because, I mean – on his social media, he touts Under Armour and he touts uh, Champ Sports, I believe, and probably some others. Who knows how many thousands of dollars he's making? Uh, that's not the kind of image those companies, if they're paying attention, it's not the kind of image I think that they expect from people they're paying money to. Or the collectives, whoever's paying him, whether it's coming from the fans or from companies through the collectives, I don't know, this conglomeration of ways of getting money to players now, who knows where it's coming from. Uh, but the point is, it's not professional, you know. He's not he's not acting like the professional that he is as a guy who's getting paid to play the sport. So we'll see what happens as the, the season moves on here. But Triple T's exactly right. Somebody needs to grab him by the hair, you know, pull that hair a little bit and say straighten up. Um, there's no better, clearer message sent in sports then bench time. You sit on the bench, you get the message. Now, maybe that message hasn't been sent through clearly enough yet from Lamont Paris. Um, you know, if he goes back and looks at video of this last game and sees how Jackson was act, acting around the huddle and on the bench, you know, he might sit in more in this game coming up at LSU just to get the message across or might not even take him. Who knows? Um but that's on the head coach, too, now. You know, he's got to put his foot down at some point and say, enough. Enough of this stuff. It's either straighten up or hit the road, you know. And I know if somebody brought up last night, maybe it was Chris, maybe it was you, Pat, or a caller, you know, Lamont Paris doesn't want to be the guy to kick Gigi Jackson off the team. You know, a guy that's projected to be, uh, well, was he not projected to be a lottery pick? Going into this season, I wonder how those people – well, I guess people who project him would say, look, look at his overall body of work. For the most part, his overall body of work has been good until this last, what, three weeks or so when things have kind of gotten a little bit out of control. But they also do look at your character. They also do look at your personality along with your jump shot and your ability to run the court and your ability to dribble. I mean, look, G.G. Jackson's got, for a guy his size – He's got wonderful talent, but he's got to harness everything that goes with that if he's going to be successful. All right, thank you for the phone call, Triple T. Let's go to the break when we come back. Yes, sir. Sorry, just to add, add one more thing here, um, and certainly don't want to pile on the young man. And I, I don't say any of this to defend his actions. Look, it's obvious that he has said and done some things that I'm sure he regrets. The He has displayed immaturity. Like These are things that are – I don't think anybody can deny or get upset at me saying. And obviously, here's, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I can't help but wonder if 
We've seen in recent years a number of players in all sports start reclassifying and leaving high school a year early. There have been success stories. There have been some stories that haven't been very successful. So I don't think there's enough data to really know if one way or the other is the right way to go. But I look at a player that we saw here in Columbia early this season in a great matchup against Gigi Jackson and the Gamecocks, Imani Bates, who was very highly regarded out of high school. People called him a can't-miss prospect. He reclassified to enter college a year early and play with his buddy Jalen Duran and others at Memphis for Penny Hardaway. It did not go well. He had very a very similar freshman season where there were some mistakes, some things said and done off the court, some not-so-great demeanor on the bench. Eventually, Penny Hardaway really not playing him a whole lot. He ended up transferring back closer to home to Eastern Michigan and now seems to, to really be excelling there. He had 36 points here in Columbia, and now he's starting to look a lot more like the highly touted prospect that folks thought he would become. I can't help but wonder if it wouldn't have done Gigi a, a year. It wouldn't have done him some good to follow his former head coach, Yerick Stoneman, to Oak Hill and maybe go there. Oak Hill has a long, long history of developing young men and producing talent that goes on to have successful NBA careers. They have uh, classes or courses in place at that school where they do things like media training and um, uh, social media training, and they try to help these young men with that development phase where they now do start to act more like a professional, and I can't help but wonder if something like that would not have done this young man some good and hopefully South Carolina has similar, I would imagine they have similar things in place. And I know I'm being long-winded here, but I would, I would ask Carolina fans, be patient with this young guy. Because now we are seeing Imani Bates excel at Eastern Michigan. And if Gigi were to stay for another year, and hopefully, I, personally, I'm pulling for him and I hope he does stay another year, Gamecock fans might actually get to see what they expected this year. Because once he does get his head a little more straight, and starts to carry himself more like a professional, as you're saying. He has all the talent in the world. Right now, it just seems like something between the ears might be holding him back a little bit. But once he figures that out and is able to just focus on his basketball, the sky could still be the limit. But what he's hurting right now, aside from just himself, is other highly regarded recruits that if word gets out that Gigi's going to return for a sophomore year, I don't know if that happens, but if he does... Would these other guys want to come play for him? Would they? I mean, with him, would they want to come play for the Gamecocks and be around Gigi Jackson if he's going to have that demeanor on the sidelines? Whereas if he can show that maturity next year, this Gamecock squad for Lamont Paris could take that next step next season, especially with a good, healthy, mind-right Gigi Jackson. So I just, yeah. just don't give up on him yet. Yeah, I, too much talent to give up on, okay? But uh, he still has to get some things right. And as I said last night... I mean, he could have stayed in high school for another year at Ridgeview. He could have followed his coach to Oak Hill. You make excellent points. They moved forward. They made the decision to move forward to reclassify and get out early to take advantage of whatever it is they wanted to take advantage of. A year in college, I'm sure they had people saying, go ahead and do your year in college. You'll still be – now you can go to the NBA. You'll be like 18 years old. You'll be so young, um, you'll sit on the bench in the NBA for a few years, but you'll get that contract clock started where you get that rookie contract behind you, then you can cash in the big dollars. I mean, don't you think that was a lot of what was laid out to them as this was being thought about? 
Sure it was. Absolutely. That's what happens with these guys, you know. And so they did they rush it? I mean, yes and no. Um, they didn't rush it because he's proven he can play at this level. He's proven he can play at the SEC level and and hang with anybody out there when he's right. But did they rush it for him from a um, uh, internal standpoint, mental and and um, just being able to handle everything that comes with being where he is? You know, obviously uh, they have rushed that. Uh, he has in high school. He never faced this kind of situation. He did nothing but win. Uh, he never sat on the bench. He never had any reason. I mean, he, he did whatever he wanted to against that competition. Uh, he never faced this kind of uh, direct challenge to his skills or to his um, to his will. And you wonder about his will being broken here a little bit because now he's finding out that uh, he just can't roll the ball out on the court and do whatever he wants. And he also has, you know, coaches that, you know, have to put him in his place when he does something lame like he did on that social media explosion. So um, a lesson to be learned. But, yeah, no sense giving up on the young man because there's just too much talent there. Uh, It would probably, unless they're just set on going out and trying cashing in right away, it would probably do him good from an emotional, physical, and basketball standpoint to play another year at South Carolina, play another year in college. Uh, I'm sure you're making good money through – the collectives and the NIL to, to to cover your your expenses away from basketball. So that would be my advice, but maybe they have their eyes set on the bigger prize right now. All right, we got to run to the break. Uh, when we come back, we'll give you the recruiting report tonight, and we'll update the basketball. And then coming up, we'll hear from USC coach Mark Kingston and Clemson basketball coach Brad Brownell on this Thursday edition of Sports Talk. We'll be back in just a moment. Life, it has its ups and downs. Sometimes it's little things like hitting every red light or dropping your cell phone. Maybe it's the bills, rent, or pressure at work. But when it comes to the South Carolina Education Lottery, you should never feel like playing will solve everything. The lottery is a game. It's played for fun. So set a dollar amount. Expect not to win and make sure responsibilities, family, friends, and work come first. Visit PlayResponsiblySC.com. Major Billy Downer here from the Department of Natural Resources, and DNR is excited to announce the implementation of Go Outdoors SC, a new online licensing and boat titling system that you can access right from your phone. Through this new system, customers can purchase their hunting and fishing licenses, renew their boats, apply for lottery hunt opportunities, and complete electronic harvest reporting requirements. For more information, visit Go Outdoors SC at your local app store. All right, back with you on Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. It is time now to give you the recruiting report for tonight. It comes to you courtesy of our good friends over at Seawells. Of course, the uh, folks at Seawells, they do the very best catering business in the entire world 
and you know we talk about them often because they're so good at what they do. you got something coming up that requires professionalism, quality, and great one-on-one workmanship. That would be the folks at Seawells. They worked hand-in-hand uh, hand with you in making sure that your big event just comes off as special and as perfect as can be. Give them a call at 803-771-7385. Let them know what you got going on, and they'll be happy to come to your place or host at their beautiful venue on Rosewood Drive. Online is SeawellsCateringSC.com. And tomorrow, of course, from 11 to 2, it's the Daily Luncheon Buffet. It's a Friday, uh, Pat. Do we have a RBF on the slate for tomorrow, 11 to 2? We most certainly do, Corn. Tomorrow will be carved roasted sirloin of beef along with southern fried chicken and fried pork chops. I will most certainly be there. And then don't forget also all the local fixings you can handle, salad bar and dessert. That sounds so yummy. I wish I could put it in my tummy. But I'm not going to be there tomorrow because... I'm on the road, but I'll, I'll catch en- him next week. I'll eat enough for both of us. Don't you um, worry. I'm doing you a favor by being on the road. More for so me. in recruiting, uh, I'm going to recap some of what we had last night because uh, I think last night uh, some of you might not have been able to reach us when we were doing the recruiting report over the air. So I'll go back over some of that and add a few other uh, new things in here. Defensive end, C.J. Jackson, 6'4", 220 out of Tucker, Georgia, frequent Clemson visitor. Was there for the junior day, January 28th. Fourth time being at Clemson. Really, really likes it. Likes the feel. Likes the the family feel. Likes what they're telling him about academics. Likes what he's seeing from the standpoint of being able to play for Lemansky Hall there at Clemson. So Clemson is definitely strongly in the mix with him at this particular time. And uh, he said that Clemson's always going to be up there with him whenever he gets down to narrowing his visit, uh, narrowing his list. Uh, He also visited Georgia Tech in January, and he's already set a March 4th visit to Alabama. He also plans to visit USC, Southern Cal, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, plus another trip to Clemson. I spoke with Blake Franks late this afternoon, the offensive guard from Greenville. Of course, he's getting a lot of attention because he's close to making his decision. You know, we had reported from his coach this week that he was looking at February 20th, which uh, the coach said it was uh, his mom's birthday. Actually, that's his sister's birthday, according to Franks. And he did talk with his sister about possibly doing something in conjunction with her birthday. But she wasn't really in favor of that, so he's put that off. He's still working on a final decision. It could come this month. It could come in March. But he says it's not too far off. USC's in the top nine with defensive end Booker Pickett, 6'4", 205 of Tampa. The top 15 with tight end defensive end Kylan Fox of Loganville, Georgia. The top 10 with linebacker Xavier Hamilton of Navarre, Florida. And the top 10 with running back Braylon Russell of Benton, Arkansas. Clemson target cornerback Ashton Hampton was offered by Tennessee and Purdue. USC has offered in the 25 class cornerback Shamari Earls safety Jordan Young, receiver Shamarius Perkins. Per 24-7 sports receiver Amari Jefferson plans to visit Clemson on March the 18th. Got a few more notes we'll share with you after the break. Then we'll hear from USC baseball coach Mark Kingston coming up here on Sports Talk.
Back we are, Sports Talk, Sports Talk Media Network. Mark Kingston coming up in just a moment. Let me finish recruiting. By the way, USC women up 40-17. to 17. Rich Taylor is covering the game for us tonight, and Rich is tweeting from his Twitter account, which is – his Twitter account is um, – his Twitter account is – I'll tell you in just a second – Midlands HS Sports, Midlands HS Sports, but he's also throwing it on our timeline at Sports Talk SC. So guess you can catch it there as far as the tweets, and he'll have post-game coverage with uh, comments from uh, Don Staley and others. We'll have that up on our website, sportstalksc.com, for you a little bit later on. Uh, by the way, I see where South Carolina's uh, football program has hired John Rudnicki as an offensive line graduate assistant. He is out of the University of Alabama, where he played for the University of Alabama. And now he is at South Carolina as an offensive line graduate assistant. Uh, Apparently replacing Lonnie Teasley, who moved up when um, they made the change there with the offensive line coaches. Okay, let me get back to recruiting. A few more items here in recruiting. USC has offered defensive tackle Devid. That's D-E-Y-V-I-D, David Palapale, or Pale Pale, P-A-L-E, P-A-L-E. David, I'm going to go with Palapale, 63303 out of Hempfield, Pennsylvania. Mentioned the Gamecocks offered 2025 corner Shamari Earls, 2025 safety Jordan Young, and 2025 receiver Shamarius Peterkin. He's out of Lithonia, Georgia. Uh, Per 24-7 sports, receiver Amari Jefferson plans to visit Clemson March 18th. He also plans to visit Alabama and Georgia in March. Looking at possible trips to Tennessee and Colorado, he visited USC back in January. Of course, Eric Kimry is his head coach there in Chattanooga, former Gamecock, former Hammond coach. Clemson target, offensive tackle Daniel Calhoun told on three he'll take officials to Georgia June 3rd and Alabama June 10th. He has uh, Clemson uh, in his top ten, along with Oklahoma, Florida, Florida State, Ohio State, Tennessee, Texas, LSU, plus Georgia and Alabama. And USC target, offensive tackle Mike Williams plans to visit USC on April the 1st. West Florence safety Kelvin Hunter offered by Auburn. Riverside defensive tackle Marcus Downs was offered by Miami. So there you go. Uh, Recruiting tonight, a little bit of a carryover from last night. Traveling today, so it made it a little tough to keep up with everything. But that's what we have for you tonight. We'll continue to update things. Follow us on Twitter with our recruiting information for you. Uh, On Twitter, it's uh, at SportsTalkSC. Use the hashtag STRecruiting. And, of course, uh, stories and notebooks regularly on our website, sportstalksc.com. Oh, here's one more note I'm just seeing. Turbo Richard, the running back from Northwestern High School, was offered by Coastal Carolina. Okay, it's a nice offer for him from uh, getting it from Coastal Carolina. Okay, baseball tomorrow. Uh, it's time to, to play for real. They've been practicing since back in uh, the fall and now through the, the winter months, I guess we call it, the winter time, uh, January and now half of February. Play ball time for real tomorrow for the D1 baseball teams. Here is USC coach Mark Kingston. A little bit of what he had to say as he met with the media this afternoon. 
Yeah, obviously we're excited. Great time of the year. Baseball is back, uh, which means the weather is warming up. Uh, a lot of optimism around the program and within our team. So uh, anxious to get on the field on Friday and see what it looks like against somebody else. Mark, you've always mentioned since you've been here the, the pressure that comes with this job. Considering the way last season ended, is there anything extra added to your play? I mean, how do you handle that on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, the only way you handle pressure uh, for coaches, for players, for anybody in any profession that, that where there's scrutiny or it's tough is you just put your head down and you work. You focus on the things you can control and that you can have an impact on, and you let everything else just be what it is. And so that's the message to the team. That's the message that we have as coaches is just do your job and then – well, however things are supposed to be, they'll be. That's the bottom line. Mark, are you able to share the opening day lineup at this point? No, not yet, Colin. <laughs> and uh, I think I think you know. There's obviously there's a lot of speculation and a lot of predictions. Um, I will say probably a lot of the predictions are, are fairly accurate, um, but we're still we still have a couple positions where I would say that there could be could be platoons. So I don't think it's fair to say this is our lineup when the lineup on Saturday could be a little bit different than the lineup on Friday. And you opted for Jack in that Sunday role. What did you see from him through the fall and this preseason that leads you to believe he is the Sunday guy? And how confident are you in his first start? Back? Yeah, we've seen we've seen good progress out of Jack. I don't think he's still to the point where he's going to be uh, maybe at midseason. He's still as a, as a guy coming off the surgery. He still has improvement uh, in front of him and has some things that he can get better. Um, but. His last outing was, was pretty impressive. He, he gave up no runs in our last inner squad that he pitched. He was up to 97 miles an hour. And we know he's a competitor. We know he's a gamer. We know how much he cares about his team. Uh, and he cares about all the right things. So we just felt like the right thing to do was to reward him with that start. And as we'll tell the guys you know, today in our team meeting, and uh, whether it's pitchers or hitters, everything we do right now, everybody's roles are their current roles, not necessarily their permanent roles, because uh, you've got to earn it every day. And so guys that, that are given opportunities early uh, don't need to take them for granted. They need to take them and run with them, uh, because everything we do is what we think currently, um, but very few things are permanent. You started to touch on it there, but you have eight games in 10 days to, to start the season. How do you balance your, your pitching staff? Do you go in thinking you have a couple of midweek starters for for next week, or just how do you go about spreading out innings? Yeah, well, we know who the, who's starting the first three games. Uh, the, the midweek games after that will be dependent a lot upon how we use guys this weekend out of the bullpen. Obviously, Hicks is in contention there. Jerzenbeck is in contention there. Becker, Jones, those guys are in contention as guys. They could be swing-type guys as key bullpen guys or midweek starters at this point. So uh, that's kind of how we'll approach it, and the guys we think maybe are most likely – to start Tuesday, Wednesday, we probably try to get them in the game earlier in the weekend if possible. Um, but still, you can't worry about Tuesday or Wednesday before you take care of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So, you know, there's a balancing act there. With Mahoney coming off of an injury, how has him switching to be a full-time pitcher helped his development and rehab? I think it just has given him a chance to really focus on one thing, and that's being the best pitcher he can be. Before he was trying to figure out how to be a pitcher, how to be a hitter, how to be a base runner, um, all those things. And so when you spread yourself that thin, it just makes it a little bit harder to be great at the one thing that you have decided you want to be. And I think scouts, coaches, you know, players, everybody saw that his best long-term uh, uh, position would, would be on the mound because he's so talented there. And so I think just the fact that he's had a chance to put all his focus there has, has sped up his progress. With Braylon at shortstop, how have you seen him progress from this point last year when he 
clearly wasn't the shortstop to now when he clearly is a shortstop. And how 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 good do you feel about him and, and what he's been able to do coming into this season? Yeah, well, I feel great about him. Um, and the comparison is night and day, John. I mean, it's last year at this time we thought, okay, he's a very good second baseman, um, but his arm needs to be on the right side of the field. And uh, but for whatever reason, he came back after he decided to come back and forego the draft um, after being drafted by the Phillies. He came back on a mission that he wanted an opportunity to be the shortstop. And from day one, he's just been incredible. The range, the arm accuracy, the, the uh, reliability of the hands is just at a level that I've seen very few times. And I've been fortunate that to coach multiple major league shortstops, and he's playing defense at a level the same or better than those guys. And so uh, he's been everything we could have hoped for. Uh, truthfully, it's a little bit, it's been surprising because we've had him for a while and he just has never played defense like this. He's played it at second base where he's a very reliable and has made some uh, highlight plays at second base, but he never showed the arm strength and accuracy on a consistent basis for us to slide him to the left side. This year he's done that. Uh, you didn't get to see Caleb Denning in the fall, but now that you have watched him in scrimmages, I know he hit a couple homers. How do you kind of feel like he's progressed since he got to campus and where do you see him fitting in? Uh, very well. He's been one of our best hitters th this spring. Uh, gives you great at-bats. Uh, he's a tough out, but he also has really good power. Um, I think you'll see him hitting, if not the t towards the top of the order, he'll hit in the first five spots somewhere. Um, we're still discussing that, but he's one of our better hitters uh, this spring, and so I would anticipate him building on what he did last year. Last year he was a double-digit double home run guy, hit 330, 50-plus RBIs, so I think he's a, he's a great addition for us. How good has the competition been throughout the spring with guys battling for different positions and, you know, guys battling for roster spots, you know, in the bullpen or rotation or, you know, whatever you may have it? It's been very good, you know, and, and the one thing we know that uh, I heard a good friend of mine, Gino Damari from Miami, uh, talk this week, and he said, you know, as they're competing in the spring in practice, it's all great because they all get to play every day and they're competing hard with, with and against each other. Um, starting Friday, we have to split that in half and only half the guys get to be in the lineup. So uh, I think that part of it will be a challenge just for the guys handling disappointment that maybe they're not playing as much as they want to right now. Um, but what we hope is that they take the right attitude and the guys that aren't playing continue to work to get in the lineups to push the guys that are getting that opportunity. And like I mentioned before, everything we're doing is, is current, not necessarily permanent. You mentioned a couple of positions you might platoon, especially early in the season at third base and catcher. How do you kind of evaluate those two going into opening weekend? And is that are those two spots that you might trial and error, maybe a few guys there over the course of the first few? Well, weeks? you could see some different things. And the, a platoon is not necessarily always a one-for-one one at a position. In other words, let's, let's use Brewer and right field, for example. Um, he may be in a platoon with a different position rather than right field. So you may see, you know, third base is a position where we have a number of guys trying to get that playing time. Um, and so if we face a lefty or a righty, that may determine we bring a lefty out. This guy goes to play third, which means if a Carson Horning is DHing, he may go to the outfield, which may slide a guy there. So there are a lot of moving pieces. Uh, you mentioned the catching position. Uh, Messina and Lee Croy are both more than capable of, of being in the lineup offensively and defensively every day, and they probably will be. Uh, so we didn't necessarily always feel that that would be the case, but they both developed really well. They both deserve to be on defense and uh, in the lineup every day. So that could affect you know, potentially the third base position or the first base position because on days Messina catches, maybe Lee Croy's at third, Cassis is uh, at first base, and a Horning may be DHing. 
But when you want to put Lee Croy behind the plate, Messina has to go somewhere. Maybe it's to first base. Maybe Cassis goes to DH. Maybe Horning goes to the outfield. And so Brewer, by extension, is affected there. So it's not always just a one-for-one platoon. It's, it's this piece might affect three other pieces in the lineup. So that's why, as coaches, we're having conversations every day. If this, then that. If this happens, what does this move mean? So it's something we talk about all the time. Uh, I've got two for you. Um, this might have already been touched on before, but so I apologize. Uh, who's going to be your base coaches? How, how does, how's that going to line up? Uh, Wingo at third and Alec Boychuk, our student assistant coach, uh, will be at first. And your thoughts on the SEC's timing rules mm-hmm. and who's how, who's keeping the time? I mean, how are you going to yeah. know what's, what's – Yeah, the umpires will, will be keeping it, but you'll also see a clock out in left center field. And so that's – I think everybody is in a wait-and-see mentality, players, coaches, umpires. You, I think you'll see some umpires really enforce that very strictly, and I think you'll see some umpires give you a little bit more time to uh, account for it or uh, adjust to it. I think we just have to figure it out as we go. Um, our guys have been explaining the rules. They know, you know there's a certain number of pickoffs. You get one reset at a batter. It's 20 seconds per batter. Um, now the pitching coaches even have a, a time that they have to get their mound visit on and off. Um, the hitter has to be within the batter's box within 10 seconds and, and set and ready to go. So there's a lot of, a lot of nuances to it that I think everybody in the game will have to just figure it out as we go. Okay, there you go, Mark Kingston. And uh... – Shout out to Andy for planting that question in my head about where the clock's going to be. It's the same clock that's out there. So they're going to use that clock that's already out there for the – it's been out there as a pitching clock. At USC, it's to uh, the left of the batter's eye, if my memory's right. It's to the left of the batter's eye. And they're going to use that clock. It'll just reset, I guess. You know, when a coach comes out of the dugout to have a mound visit, the clock will restart, uh, reset for that. Uh, if an infielder comes in for a, a mound visit, it'll reset for that, and et cetera, et cetera. So that's how it will be done. Plus, the umpires will keep an eye on it as well. Okay, we're going to go to the break. When we come back, hear from uh, Clemson basketball coach Brad Brownell from the win last night. Meantime, at the CLA, 51-21, the Gamecocks over Florida, shooting 58%. Cooks got 13. Beals got 13. So another pretty uh, light one tonight for the Gamecocks. Like Boston's got four points, four rebounds, and she's played 10 minutes. No sense uh, overworking the horses tonight. You're up by 30 at halftime. And we'll be back. Score a touchdown with Founders Federal Credit Union. With services like Founders Online and the Founders app, you'll enjoy all the perks of a big bank with local personalized service. Not a member? Joining Founders Federal Credit Union is easy. Visit RelaxJoinFounders.com or one of our 37 convenient locations to see if you qualify for membership. Relax with Founders. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. All right, folks, let's get started. Parents, thanks for coming. As many of you know, I'm Coach Mather. Tonight I want to talk about the season, of which I only have one expectation, that everybody gets stronger. When I say get stronger, I'm not referring solely to physical strength. Sure, we'll be in the weight room, we'll be running stairs, but we're also going to focus on developing mental toughness and grit because those are the characteristics that allow us to achieve greatness both on and off the court. 
So how do we develop those things? By getting comfortable with a challenge, by cultivating the confidence necessary to overcome adversity in all forms. That's why I coach. That's my purpose. Every member of this team can lean on me, and I'll teach them how they can lean on themselves and each other. This message presented by the SCHSL and the South Carolina Athletic Administrators Association. All right, last night, Clemson had their way with Florida State. Tigers, whew, hot from the start. I mean, it had to be, that's a coach's dream. Come out and hit your first five shots, build a 13-2 lead, shoot 60% in the first half, shoot 60% in the second half, win by 40, largest margin of victory in an ACC game ever for Clemson, tie the program record with 11 ACC wins, get your 19th win, move up in the, uh, in the net, Feeling good now for Clemson uh, after uh, losing uh, three in a row. They get that win last night at home over Florida State. Brad Brownell feeling pretty good as well. Here he is talking to the media afterwards. You know, terrific performance by our team. Just uh, played really good on both both ends. Just uh, shot it really well, which um, always helps. And uh, But I was really pleased. I, I thought our activity level defensively was good, created some turnovers, rebounded well. Um, just, you know, terrific performance. You know, every once in a while you have a game like this uh, during the season, you usually have one or two of these, and then you always have one or two that sometimes go the other way. Um, and it's – those games are hard. Obviously, we had a game like that at Loyola. and um, So I'm just pleased with our guys. thought we played well and uh, bounced back, and now we got to take it on the road. Yeah, I thought we had a good week, but uh, – you know what? Our guys have done a good job. I mean, we've practiced, you know, pretty well. You know, I talked to one of the TV guys before the game. He was asking me about our team and stuff. And I said, you know, we've lost three in a row. But, again, I said it after the game. We played pretty well in the Miami game. We really did. Um, they just played a little bit better and uh, made a couple plays. But, you know, it's not like we played terrible in every game. Um, we played very poorly in the second half in Chapel Hill. Um, and obviously we ran into a buzzsaw. They were highly motivated and shot the heck out of the ball, made some hard shots, um, and, you know, we didn't, <coughs> excuse me, just handle the environment as well as we needed. Um, but I, it's not like I don't think we're, you know, we're playing bad basketball or anything like that. I think, you know, our team is playing pretty well, and uh, it, it's just hard to win. And a lot of times the margins are close. Tonight was a night where, you know, we caught them at a good time and um, played at a high level. Yeah, just easier baskets. Um, you know, it opens the court for you and, and gets you a couple easy ones. And then, you know, I said this at North Carolina, when we got down, you know, 12 or whatever against North Carolina early in the second half, it's easier to make threes when you're shooting with a 12, 15, 20-point lead. Uh, you don't feel the game pressure, and so some of that for us tonight, right? Like we're um, we're up the whole game, kind of in control, and so then you have some threes, and it's you feel pretty good about shooting them. And uh, sometimes when you get transition baskets, you get a couple layups or 
make a couple free throws that get you in a good place, and then you start knocking down shots. And, and uh, you know, certainly we did all that tonight. Well, I hope so. And, yeah, that's important. I mean, you know, we need Brevin healthy. We need Chase healthy. We need P.J. healthy. Um, you know, Alex still not all the way back. We need him to be able to help us um, down the stretch run. But our, our freshmen have improved. And uh, I thought they played well tonight. And, uh, you know, that's really important down the stretch. You know, we had some games early in the year where we played them a few times and sometimes it didn't always go very well. But uh, they've, they've been very uh, positive, you know, contributors here recently. And, uh, you know, we expect a lot out of them. Yeah, I thought he'd just done some nice things. And Chase, we just want to give Chase a blow. Um, you know, and, and Dylan has done a nice job. And I thought he was, he was pretty solid tonight. Um, so, yeah, it's a little of both. Um, some of it's just shots falling. Like he made a couple shots today that weren't easy shots, but he jumped up and knocked them down. And um, But I thought his shot selection was, by and large, pretty good. And, uh, you know, when he plays like that, it's it really helps our team. Yeah, I thought defensively we, we did a nice job. Um, you know, we, we didn't give them a lot of easy stuff around the basket. Um, they did make some threes. The Miller kid, for whatever reason, he likes to play against Clemson. I mean, he's he plays really well against us and uh, made some tough shots. And and uh, you know, it, it you know it helped us. Matthew Cleveland didn't play. That helps um, take another good player out of their starting lineup and get a little deeper into their bench. Um, but I just it felt like our guys were, you know, we were we were just locked in and you know and got off to a good start and shots fell and you know it, it just it's one of those nights where you just play really really well so yeah really fun and you bring some mojo to this team you know i what i've i said and i just told our team this is you know it speaks to the quality of our program i think it really does you got guys who are on a break from playing overseas and they've got only got a you know a week or 10 days or whatever they're over here for and they take time out of their schedule to come to Clemson. And Clemson's not easy to get to. Um, but they want to come here and, and spend time with us and be around our players and watch a game. And it speaks to the fond memories they have for our, our you know, for Clemson and, and our program. And I think it speaks to the quality of our program that kids would want to do that. Those guys have been out several years. You know, Marquise has a child now. And, you know, it, it's fun for me. Um, because it, it lets me know how appreciative you know they are of their experience and then in turn it allows me to tell our players about it right and make a big deal about when you get older you know you don't have time time is it's not infinite right you lose it and so for those guys to give their time to us I thought was really it meant a lot to me and uh, I tried to share that with our players so it was it was a cool cool night Okay, Brad Brownell following the win last night for the Tigers. Good win. They go on the road feeling pretty good about themselves. All right, let's update some things. 51-21. They haven't started the uh, third quarter yet. In the second quarter, USC outscored Florida 22-6. Florida shooting 31%. The Gamecocks shooting 58%. And I'm sure everything else skews in favor of the Gamecocks. 11 points off turnovers, off six turnovers, 28-13 to in rebounds. 10 offensive rebounds, 14 second-chance points, 28-14 to 14 
in the paint. So USC well on their way. We'll have post-game coverage on our website, sportstalksc.com. You can catch that a little bit later on. Other basketball, Clemson women playing at Miami, and the Tigers are trailing with um, eight seconds to play. They're down 59-54, 59-54, eight seconds to play there. And Coastal Carolina men with Chris Bergen on the call, and they are leading Georgia State at the half, 35-24. We'll see you tomorrow night from the Coaches Clinic in Myrtle Beach. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. Have a great night. We'll have a good one for you tomorrow night. Make sure you join us. See you then. Thank you.